Well, good morning to those of you who are here on site, but also those who are joining us online this morning. Uh, Last week, if you're with us, you know that I introduced to us the new series we're going to be going through for the next couple of weeks called Resilient. As we're focusing upon the life and the story of an Old Testament figure by the name of Joseph. A man who many people, myself included, consider to be an excellent example of character and faith. And as we're going to see in the weeks ahead, Joseph endured challenges that were beyond what any person would ever expect to face in their life. And yet he had the resiliency, the ability to rise above, to to withstand the pressures that came against him, to, to recover well in the face of difficult circumstances. And as we started talking a bit last week, and we will unpack as the weeks go on, his ability to do so did not reside in his own power, his, his own wisdom, his own greatness. He, he possessed some of these things. He, he was naturally a, 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 you know, a young, handsome, fit, intelligent leader, but that's not where his resiliency came from. You see, rather, it came from his faith in God, who was always faithful to him. And so today we're going to look at how he maintained this resiliency to overcome adversity. Adversity is the key word here, where different situations related to events and people around us come against us. Now, I think it's safe to assume that we are all experts in the ability to define adversity these situations and circumstances that work against us, because all of us have endured 2020, right? And some of you even endured my dad jokes about 2020 last week. Well, good news, uh, the other day I was given a gift by the staff, and it was called a dad joke game. It contains 600 dad jokes in it. So I have the ability to study more in-depth than ever before. So 2021 may be the year of the dad joke. We'll see how that goes. But even before last year and the adversities that we overcame last year, we all know adversity is a reality of life, right? If you live long enough, you will encounter adversity. Sometimes they're minor. Uh, Maybe you have a day set aside where you're going to do all the laundry, and and so you pick up that giant basket, and you go to the laundry room, and... uh, The washing machine is broken. Well, you may feel a sense of relief to some degree, but you also feel small, minor adversity. There's a solution to that, but but it causes a problem in the moment. Maybe you're late for a meeting, and it seems like every single red light is just looking for you as you drive. Adversity of a minor side. Sometimes uh, I hear in my own household about adversity from my kids who complain about the Wi-Fi is too slow. That's, this is a serious adversity, apparently, that a lot of people have an encounter. You know, even, even uh, the youngest of us, if you live long enough, you will experience adversity. My granddaughter, Lydia, who's five months old, the other day she was sitting in one of her chairs and she had some of these plastic keychains, you know, that babies have and they, they chew on them a bit for teething. And, and, and so she had that in her hand with that baby death grip that they have. And, and she was banging it. And as she was banging it, she, she bonked herself in the head. This is maybe her first experience with adversity in life. As she, as she smacked herself in the head with the keys and she, you could see the change of joy to what is going and then the tears started. But then she did it again. And so we had eventually had to take them away from her because she was just, she could not figure out why was she continuing to experience adversity. 
Sometimes adversity is brought upon ourselves, right? We, we don't always smack ourselves in the head with key changes as we get older, but sometimes we do send emails without thinking or, or without editing at times. It's another form of adversity. But there's more serious ones too, obviously. Ones that we find in our lives where the phone rings and it's the diagnosis we didn't want to hear. Where we walk into work and we find out that we've been laid off. We find out that our relationship is broken down and now mom and dad are getting divorced. When you find out that a child has strayed from home and, and is involved in lifestyles that are harming to themselves and those around them. You see, when adversity comes, we all know what it feels like. We feel that pressure start to build up. We feel like we're starting to bend and the question is, are we going to give? And, and that feeling leads to the sense of we want to quit. We want to just leave it all behind. Just stop chasing the dream. Give up the relationship. Just, just walk away and lose the faith. I'm sure that all of these feelings that I just mentioned are things that Joseph himself wrestled with and thought about. But he was resilient. He was resilient in the face of adversity. You see, in the midst of the adversity that he was feeling, he did not abandon his character He did not abandon his faith. You see, when he was betrayed, he didn't retaliate. When when he was tempted, he didn't give in. When his outer world was falling apart, his inner world did not. And when he was blessed, he did not let it go to his head. Instead, he used it to serve people in the world around him. So you may be facing adversity, or you may be in a situation where you know adversity is just around the corner from you. But I want to encourage you today, whatever situation you may find yourself in, encourage you to remain resilient in the face of adversity. How? By remaining faithful to the God who is always faithful to you. Now, Joseph was no stranger to adversity in his life. He was born into a family of wealth and privilege, sure. But his family also, especially for those who are on the inside of the family, would also be known as, as dysfunction junction. Like it was a family full of conflict and adversity. Consider, for example, Joseph's father was a man named Jacob who had four wives. Of those four wives, Joseph was the second youngest of 12 brothers and one sister. Now, Joseph's mother was Jacob's favorite wife. And even just saying those words, you know that's going to cause tension in the relationship in the household, especially when it's known that everybody knew that Joseph's mother was the favorite wife. Well, to make matters worse for Jacob and his his, his, uh, children, his favorite wife died during childbirth to Joseph's youngest brother, Benjamin. Now imagine the situation, one dad, 13 kids, four moms, and the favorite of those dies. You can see how that's ripe for adversity. But then on top of that, everyone knew that not only was Joseph's mom the favorite wife, but Joseph was the favorite child, and and Jacob made no surprise or no mistake about that. He made it obvious because he made him that that infamous multicolored perhaps you know, expensive coat and blessed him with this special robe. And Joseph received this gift and, and he chose to wear it everywhere. 
And he chose to sort of flaunt it in front of his brothers, which did not make the situation any better. And if that wasn't even enough yet, Joseph, also we learn in chapter 37 of Genesis, had two dreams where his brothers and his family are bowing down to him. Now, you and I might look at that and think, that's something you're going to keep to yourself, given that situation. But no, he thought it would be a good idea to share that with everybody. And so he tells his family, you know, you're all going to bow down to me one day. You can imagine how that went over. You see, some adversity just happens to us. But we also see in Joseph's story some adversity we actually can bring upon ourselves. And so as we start reading about Joseph's story, and if you want to follow along in your Bibles, and in Genesis chapter 37, we'll be starting in verse 12. This is a situation where Joseph's brothers have now gone off to graze their flocks. Excuse me, at a place called Shechem. And being the favorite son, Joseph stays behind and, and he's going to spend time with dad. And so as his brothers go off, he stays home with dad. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, this place of Shechem that the brothers had gone off to was about 50 miles away. And it was in hostile territory. And so as I'm describing all this, I don't want to suggest to you that Jacob didn't care about his other sons. In fact, he did. He cared enough to say, you know, Joseph, it's been a few days. Why don't don't you travel and go check on how they're doing and, and, and see if they're all right? And so Joseph, who at this point is 17 years old, goes to check on them. He puts on his coat and he heads out to go find them. And after a four-day journey, remember, it's 50 miles away. After a four-day journey, he arrives in Shechem. And he can't find them. But he does find a guy who happens to know that they've moved even one day further north to a place called Dothan. Now, isn't that convenient that in this city of Shechem, he finds the one guy who knows where they've gone off to? Well, fortunate as it is, he, he continues his journey. And as he starts to come across the horizon, his brothers see him coming. Because you can't miss that coat, right? You can see that coat from a mile away. And as we pick up that story, we begin to read in verse 19 of Genesis chapter 37. Whereas Joseph comes over the hill and his brothers see him coming towards them, they say to themselves, here comes that dreamer, they said. Come now, let us kill him. let's, Let's throw him in one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of those dreams. Clearly the brothers have great disdain for him. And they're just triggered by this coat they see on the horizon and the thought of these dreams. And here they are far away from home. They're in a distant, hostile land. You know, anything could happen. This is why mom always said, let me know where you are and where you're going to be home. Because you just never know what could happen while you're out. And maybe it started as the brothers were gathering. It's sort of a passing comment. You know, somebody should teach that guy a lesson one day. I sure hope somebody deals with Joseph at some point. Yeah, maybe we'll be lucky enough that he could fall down a well. Or maybe we could help him find his way to the bottom of one. You see, as the idea is spoken into the world, and as Joseph starts to get closer to his brothers, the thought becomes a plot. And they hold a travel council, and they determine his fate. They agree they're going to kill him and cover it up. But Reuben, who is the oldest brother and has a sense of responsibility for everybody, for all of his brothers, he interjects in verse 21, where then Reuben heard this and he tried to rescue him from their hands. 
Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. You know, let's throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but, but don't lay a hand on him. Now, Reuben had said this to rescue him from them and to take him back to their father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe that he was wearing, and they took him and they threw him in the cistern. The cistern was empty and there was no water in it. At the beginning of the week, Joseph was thinking, man, things are good. He had everything going for him. He was young, handsome, secure, dad's favorite. How quickly life can change, can't it? As he finds himself from there to at the bottom of a well, looking up. He has been stripped of all of his possessions, of all his pride. He's been stripped of his power, and there's nothing he can do about it. And we find our first point here is this, is that, is that prosperity is temporary. And so we need to be thankful to God for the things that he brings into our lives, but we need to also be careful to not make them our God. You see, you're not likely to face such extreme persecution as, you know, as Joseph did. But adversity is somewhat inevitable in our lives. You see, and when it comes... It will reveal where you have placed your hope and your trust. We read about this in Proverbs chapter 30, uh, 23 where it says, Do not wear yourselves out to get rich. Do not trust in your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they're gone. For they will surely sprout wings and they will fly off like an eagle. That was written eons ago. But it appears to speak to a common human condition because I think it's still applicable today. How many people do you know who spend their lives seeking to accumulate titles and accolades and possessions? And if you ask them how life is going, quite often they'll be like, great, you know, family's doing well, everyone's getting along, health, no, health is good, staying healthy, staying fit, bills are paid, got a good job. And in the midst of that, you know, our response to that could be fantastic. But be thankful. Be thankful. Be sure to praise God for the blessings you're receiving. Because as we've all found out in our lives, it can change in an instant. You can walk into work one day and find out that they're downsizing. You can go to school one day and find out that they're closing the schools the next day. You can have a wonderful social life until they bring a quarantine upon you. You can have plans to travel the world until you're not allowed to. As we know, life can change in an instant. Now, there's nothing wrong with these things. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. It's just that they make bad gods. Not wrong to have. It's just that they make bad gods. Cast but a glance at them, at the things of the world, and they sprout wings, and they fly away. You see, nothing of this world is secure. It's what we call fleeting. And, and you can lose the created, but you can never lose the creator. You can lose what you are given, but you can never lose on the giver of all good things. The reality is, adversity is inevitable. So be prepared. Wow. You're probably thinking to yourself, this is a really uplifting message. I'm really glad I came to church today that I could hear this message. But, but if you're thinking that, stick with me. Because remember, we just left Joseph in the bottom of a pit. 
That's where he is, and that's, and that's what we're talking about right now. But I also want to remind you it is not the end of the story. You see, Jesus knew that there was going to be pits of adversity in our lives, and in what is probably the least favorite promise that he made in all of the Gospels, he said in John 16, 33, he said, In me you will have peace, but in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Now, if you're like me, I don't like this verse. But you know what I do? I, I do appreciate the honesty of it. Because if you're like me, if I'm going to encounter a challenge, don't hide it from me. Just tell me. Like, like just don't try and gloss over it. Maybe you think everything's going to be okay. Like, when I go to the dentist, I, I hate going to the dentist. But, but I don't want them to say, no, it's just a little pinch. No, it's not a little pinch. Like, like, tell me what it's going to be so I can get prepared, right? Maybe it's just me. <laughs> you know, but when adversity comes and we're prepared and we're foretold about it, we're not surprised. And that's why I appreciate this verse. Because then when thing, things happen to us, I never find myself going, why is this happening to me? You know, it's happening because Jesus promised it was going to happen. And it gives the chance to be prepared. So how do we get prepared? We've already talked about how we don't get prepared. We, we don't prepare by trusting in our own strength or by trusting in what we can accumulate and achieve on our own. Rather, we get prepared by establishing and investing in a faithful relationship to God and by bringing around us and learning from other godly people who have walked the path we're walking but are a few steps further down the road. You see, folks, Scripture is God's revelation of himself to us. This book is God's instructions on all matters of faith and conduct, and that includes adversity. Within the pages of this book are timeless words of truth that you can apply to your life and are applicable today. Within this book are examples of godly people that we can learn from, people like Joseph that we're studying in the next few weeks, people like Daniel that we read about back in the fall, People like Paul, who, who we regularly read about, learn about, and quote in all sorts of different messages. And even within the church family, whether they're talking about the online family or the on-site family, we are all one congregation of people who are seeking to know more about God and to grow deeper in our relationship with him. And so we can be one of God's forms of provisions in each other's lives when we have godly people who have persevered a trial have persevered in adversity, have learned and grown from it a little further down the road, and they can come alongside us and encourage us and say to us, can I walk with you for a while? See, those who persevere, they end up having a testimony. And it's a testimony that says, in the face of adversity, they find that adversity is the furnace where character and faith are forged. James 1.12 says this. It says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. You see, when we remain faithful in the face of adversity, it helps us to grow and mature into Christ-like character. And not only does that result in eternal life for ourselves in, in, in the life to come, but it also leads to a more abundant life now. How? 
Well, because we're better prepared to endure our own adversity. But at the same time, we're also in a spot where we can come alongside. We don't we cease to be the one who needs assistance, and we can be God's provision to somebody else as we come alongside them. In the years that I've been a pastor, I've seen this happen so many times, where one person perseveres through adversity, and then God happens to bring another person along their path whom they can encourage and support. I could tell you stories of, of, of a homeless man who was, who was taken off the streets and helped to get clean and, and, and to get employed and to get his life organized and gave his life to Christ. And the response from that was to go back and work in the inner city street mission where he would go out at night on the coldest nights of the year in particular and he would hand out food and clothing and share the love of Jesus with people. I could tell you stories of of, of a husband who had been left and abandoned by his wife and had to navigate the painful season of the divorce he went through. At times thinking, I'm going to give up. I'm going to quit. Where's God in the midst of this? And almost walked away from his faith. But as we journeyed together, he was able to hang on to his faith, and his character and his faith grew even more. Wouldn't you know it? Right around the time he was starting to feel like he was was kind of re- you know, regaining balance from that, another man comes along his path who's just entering the same situation and he can go to him and say, let me walk with you for a while. I could tell you stories of, of women who have miscarried children and go through the pain of that loss and then a year later I will see them in the foyer of a church hugging another mom who is just entering into that season. I can tell you the story of, of, of a woman who was, who was in the lifestyle of prostitution who managed to break free, and she managed to get connected with a church who was offering her protection and security and to help her get established into a different lifestyle that was healthier and more secure and more productive as they shared God's love with her. And she then started a ministry in that church where once a year at minimum, they would raise money and they would then go out and they would, for lack of a better term, hire all of the prostitutes in the neighborhood. They would bring them into the church where they would give them a safe place to to sleep and food to eat, a place to get cleaned up, and they would give them haircuts and food and and share other opportunities with them, how they could break free from that life. And they were making a difference in that world, but they would pay them so they wouldn't get in trouble when they went back out onto the streets. Now, that was hard to fit into the church budget. I'm not sure how you itemize prostitution in the church budget, but there's a story behind that that helped the auditor understand what was going on. You see, in all of these stories, I'm not suggesting to you that God causes adversity. What I am telling you is that God does not waste it. That in the midst of adversity, that is where we have the development of faith and character that leads to greater Christ-like maturity and abundance in the life to come and the life today. You know, throughout this series, we're going to see that God did not waste Joseph's adversity. That what other people intended for evil in his life, God was using his redeeming power. What other people intended for evil ran smack dab into God's redeeming power and would be used to work together for the good of God. Just not quite yet in the story. Because there's more adversity yet ahead for Joseph. As we get back to that part of the story. Remember, we left Joseph in a pit in the midst of this adversity. And his brothers had plotted to kill him. They weren't quite sure what was happening. Reuben stepped in and said, let's not kill him, but 
yes, we'll throw him down the pit. And now, after this, Reuben, we're not quite sure why, but he kind of wanders off. And the other brothers decide to sit down and have lunch, which seems rather callous because, remember, they're in the middle of a plot to kill their brother, and they're like, well, let's eat first because I hate doing my killing on an empty stomach, right? And, And so they sit down and they have lunch. But as they look up from their meals, they see a caravan of Ishmaelite merchants walking down the international coastal highway on their way to Egypt. And Judah, one of the brothers, has an idea. He says to himself, why would we kill Joseph? We we could still rid ourselves of him, but maybe even turn a bit of a profit in the process. And so as we pick up the story in verse 26 through 28, we read this. Now Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. And let's not lay hands on him. After all, he is our brother. He's our own flesh and blood, because suddenly that matters. And his other brothers agreed. So when the merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern, and they sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. They sold him for the cost of the going cost of a slave, essentially. Now it's easy to miss. But God's been at work in this. God's been at work previously in this story, and we can see God's providence yet again. Remember early in the story, when, when, when Joseph arrived at Shechem, he happened to meet a man in this large city. He happened to meet a man who's like, oh yeah, I overheard those guys talk, and they're heading a little further north, which led him towards a chance where he had the ability to actually encounter his brother's providence. And these Ishmaelites that come by, if, now if you've started this year doing sort of a Bible reading plan where you start at Genesis and work your way through, you probably recently read about the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites were sons of Abraham, or sorry, descendants of Abraham through Abraham's son Ishmael, who was born between Abraham and Hagar. Now, there wasn't much association between these clans, but these Ishmaelite merchants who are going by are second cousins to Joseph and his brothers. Now, that may seem like a simple, subtle development, and it may lead you to think, well, what a coincidence. You know, what are the odds that, that, that Joseph would run into the one guy in, in Shechem who knows where his brothers are? What, what, a, what, what kind of luck is that, that, that the Ishmaelites, that second cousins, happen to be passing by just at this pivotal moment? And I caution you to be careful with that, because when we use that word coincidence, it actually reveals something about our worldview and about our theology. You see, there are people who, in this world who, who lack faith or lack of belief in God, or even those who believe that there is a God, but he's sort of impersonal and distant, kind of like a, like a watchmaker who, who built the watch and wound the watch, but then kind of left it. And they would look at events like this and say, huh, yeah, it's just happened by chance. But here's the thing that I know, is the longer that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the more you realize that not everything happens just by chance. The longer you follow Jesus Christ, you start to encounter moments where you cannot deny that God was involved and he's involved in your life and that he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And in the course of these events, he's inviting you to join him in fulfilling that plan for you in your life that glorifies him. 
And do not miss the significance of this caravan. When lunch was over, these guys were probably going to kill Joseph. Reuben, who was advocating for Joseph, had wandered off. They were probably going to kill him when lunch was over, but now his life has been spared. Well, when Reuben returns, he's shocked at what he finds because this has all happened while he had wandered off to wherever he had gone. And he, again, as the eldest brother, has responsibility for all of them. In particular, Joseph, dad's favorite. When he finds out what they've done, he knows there's no turning back now. Joseph's gone. And so they hatch a plan to cover their tracks. And they take that robe that they had stripped off of him earlier. They, they slaughter a goat and they dip the robe in the goat's blood. And then they start their journey home. After a five-day journey home, they, they walk into Jacob's tent and they present this robe. They go, Dad, we, Dad, we found this on the road. Do, do you think it could be Joe's? Jacob immediately knows the gift that he had given his son years earlier. And he draws the only conclusion that he could possibly consider is that a ferocious animal must have, have killed him on the road and, and his son is dead. He never suspects his, his sons. Why would he? What father would ever think his boys could be capable of such a thing? And then grief struck and Jacob just, just tears his clothes and he mourns for days and refuses to be comforted by anybody. And as the story ends, we're left to decide for ourselves if the brothers felt any remorse for what they had done. But the final verse in chapter 37 does reveal for us the fate of Joseph. Where it says, meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar. One of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Which we'll look closer at next week. Well, we leave the story there. I ask you to consider, what do you think was going through Joseph's mind? What was going through the mind of the 17-year-old man who now finds himself as a slave in Egypt? He's probably thinking things like, what did I ever do to deserve this? What could possibly happen next? Probably even, where are you, God? Now, there will be times of adversity in our lives when it will seem like God is very distant from you. Times when you pray and it feels like God is not answering you. When, when you look at your situation, you think, life is not fair. I don't deserve what's happening to me. If you ever feel that way, can I encourage you? Can I, can I encourage you to do something that's difficult in the midst of that moment? Can I encourage you to stay resilient? How? By choosing to remain faithful to God, who is faithful to you, even when it doesn't look like it. If this was the end of the story, if, if chapter 37 was where the whole book of Genesis ends and we never hear from Joel again, we would have a hard time believing that God is faithful. That's how the story ends. But that's not how the story ends. That's how the chapter ends. There's more chapters to come. The book is not yet finished. Did you know that Joseph suffered for 23 years? He was 17. It was not until he was about 40, as we travel through his life over the coming weeks, it's not until he was about 40 years old that he begins to see signs of what looks like success. Now, I hope and pray and trust that none of us will have to suffer for 23 years, but I do know that if we're going through a time of adversity, we may need to persevere just a little longer. Jesus Christ promised that in this world we would have trouble. He said, in this world you will have trouble. In me, you will have peace. 
You see, another promise that we find in Scripture that even though we will have trouble, that he will go with us through it every step of the way. We read about this in Isaiah 43 where, where God says to the prophet Isaiah, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. See, God never said there wouldn't be a flood. He said you wouldn't drown. God never said there wouldn't be any fire. He said you wouldn't get burnt. He said, never said there would be no adversity. What he said is that if you remain faithful to him, he is faithful to you. And that he will go through it with you. As I was preparing for this message this week, I came across a wonderful story from Exodus 15 that another pastor had tied into this concept that I wanted to leave you with today. And it takes place, in, as I said, in Exodus 15, where the Israelites had just crossed the Red Sea. Now remember, they're riding high at this moment. Like, like this incredible miracle, probably one of the biggest miracles that ever happened in Scripture is found in this particular moment. Where God parted the sea. They walked through on dry land, and as they got through dry land, the, the waters came back and defeated their enemies, setting them to absolute freedom. He truly had rescued them like he said he would. And as we start chapter 15, we find them singing and dancing and praising God for his goodness to them. And then they walk for three days. And they couldn't find any water. They, they couldn't find any food. And the adversity of hunger and thirst starts to steal their joy and steal their hope and, until they come to this place called Mara. Now Mara is a spring, and there's lots of water there, but as they taste the water, they find that it's bitter, which is what the name Mara means. It means bitter. And they can't drink the water. But they cry out to God. They cry out to Moses and, and say, what are we going to do now? And God tells Moses, you know, there's the wood over here. You take the wood, put it in the water, the bitter water will become sweet. And indeed it does. And they drink and they're refreshed for a moment. But in this moment of, of refreshment, God takes the opportunity to remind them that as they wander through the desert, they're going to face all sorts of adversity. And so he tells them as they walk through this desert, he says, never forget Never doubt that I have promised to take care of you. And if you will remain faithful to me, if you will obey my commands, you will be blessed. And then the next day they arrive at a place called Elim. And when they get to Elim, they find that there are 12 springs and, and 70 palm trees. One, one water spring for each tribe and enough food to satisfy them all. One day they're encountering the adversity and the thirst and the bitterness of Mara. The next day, God leads them to a beautiful oasis and provides for them a lean. Here's the point I want us to take away from this. When life seems hopeless, God's answer may only be one day away. When life seems hopeless, God's answer may be just one more day away. This may be your story. You might be facing the adversity of Mara today. If that's the case, I encourage you to remain faithful. I encourage you to persevere. Elim could be just one more day, maybe just one more week, maybe just one more decision away. But even if it is longer than that, God has promised to remain faithful to you in the midst of the journey. He will be with you. 
He didn't promise there would be no flood. He said it would not overtake you. He didn't promise there would be no fire. He promised it would not burn you and consume you. You see, folks, prosperity is temporary. Adversity is inevitable. But resiliency in God is found when we remain faithful to God who is faithful to us. I invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of Joseph. We thank you for the example of your faithfulness to Joseph in the midst of adversity. Lord, even when the story is not yet finished and and we kind of wonder how, when, why do these things happen to Joseph? And we can easily translate to ourselves at times as well. God, we thank you that we can hang on to the promise that even though you said, yes, there will be adversity in this life, you promised we would not be alone. That we could be strong. That we could be courageous because you are with us. God, for those who are watching online or are gathered on site here who do not have that relationship with you right now in their lives, God, I pray that that in this moment right now, that the spirit that is prompting them and saying you cannot walk this journey any further on your own, that, uh, that they would understand that the sin that separates them from, G, from, from God was paid for by Jesus Christ. And that if they would receive his forgiveness and surrender their lives to him, Jesus will come in and will walk alongside of us. He'll bring us into a family bring us into a place of encouragement, a place of endurance, a place where we can persevere. God, I pray for those who need that in their lives right now for the first time as they surrender their lives to Christ. I pray for all of us as well who may be going through a moment of adversity. I, I know we all are to some degree. And Lord, there might be some here who are listening, who, who are just deciding to, to pack it in whatever that may look like in, in a relationship, in a situation, in their faith. God, I just pray in this moment that the reminder that you are with them, that resiliency is found in you, not in our own strength, in our own accomplishments, in our own possessions. It is found in you, Lord, that we would turn our hearts again anew to you and find that strength, find that peace that comes when Jesus Christ is allowed to come into the situation and to walk with us. Help us, guide us, and strengthen us in the face of adversity, we pray. In Jesus' name.